Welcome back to the uh, 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Blake Lovell. With me once again, co-host uh, Steve Cook. And uh, we are back here to pay tribute to the one and only beautiful Bobby Eaton, Steve. A true, really truly, I think if you go back and you're like, who is one of the most underrated probably wrestlers in history? Like, I- I'm willing to go that far just based on how good this guy was in the ring. I think you put Bobby Eaton in that category. You know, and the thing about Bobby Eaton, too, you know, whenever people pass away, you'll often hear other folks say, well, you know, nobody ever had bad things to say about that guy. And 99% of the time, that's complete BS. Because let's be honest, we all run afoul of somebody at some point or another. We've all made somebody upset. And there's always going to be somebody who has something bad to say about you or me or anybody else. Bobby Eaton is one of those instances where yeah, nobody had bad things to say about Bobby Eaton. Yeah, uh, not from a personal perspective. If you if you listen to uh, any story from one of his peers in the wrestling business, uh, they just have nothing but good things to say about the guy behind the scenes, the kind of person he was to everybody, and certainly uh, in behind the scenes great, and also in the ring great. And it's the thing about the underrated business, in a way, yes, because. I don't think promoters really uh, properly valued him for the most part. And it's weird because especially in the, in the 1990s, it was a weird time for, for Bobby in the 1990s after the Midnight Express and after the team of Arn Anderson, after the Blue Bloods. There's kind of a period in WCW where he just wasn't doing much of anything and they just kind of kept him around. And you kind of wonder whether you could have done something or not. And there's it's, it's, it's tough to say. But... You know, I, and I think I do think the fans appreciated him, and he had his weaknesses. Uh, obviously, he was never a fireball personality, not a not a great promo, if you will. But man, you just put that guy in the ring, and he just got it done every single time. He was he was fantastic, and um, yeah, of course, you know, he passes away at sixty two. Uh, it's just you know that's young. I mean, that's um, that's young. His his wife, um, Donna, had recently passed away. She was 57, and I know that's the story that, that Dave Meltzer yes. brought up in the uh, the Wrestling Observer newsletter. Which uh, the I daughter know, of the yeah. superstar Bill Dundee, Bill who Dundee. Uh, another wonderful character, Bill Dundee. Yeah, Bill Dundee <laughs> was something, and um, yeah, that's the story that's always brought up was about how uh, Dundee had basically, you know, he had forbid her not to, you know, do any no talking to wrestlers, no dating wrestlers, none of that. Yeah, and Dundee um, was also the booker, so he was uh, right. he was a boss in the business. <laughs> so he didn't want the he didn't want her fretting or anything with his employees, uh, because for one thing it'd be kind of weird, and for another thing he knew that most of the wrestlers are complete dirtbags, <laughs> just horrible people. Yeah, and so you know he finally, I think they'd kept the relationship secret. I want to say it was like nine, ten months, something like that, and um, she finally tells him that she's dating a wrestler and. Dundee loses it, um, <laughs> and then uh, she tells him it's eaten, and he's like, "Oh, well, that's fine, right? Like, there's perfectly fine." Because, like you said, it's he's one of those guys that you do like. You could Google, and in this day and age, we know like you can Google and probably find something um, on a lot of people. Like you said, ninety something like that. Somebody's always going to say something bad, but I, I tried to find that Steve. I couldn't find it. Like, I can't find anything on anyone who looked at Bobby Eaton other than just one of these nicest guys. And like we just said, you think about what he accomplished like in his career, all of that's great. And we're going to talk about some of that, 
but it's like this guy went through this business, the professional wrestling business, and did not really form any enemies. And how you're able to do that in this business, that's not an easy thing to do. No, it certainly isn't, especially when you start off in the, you know, in the place where you started off in Tennessee, you know, <laughs> working right. for Nick, working for Nick Gulas in that territory. It's a tough place not to make enemies. Just ask Jerry Lawler, ask any other people who went through there. And it's funny because uh, back when I listened to the Wrestling Gold uh, DVDs, the commentary by, by Cornette and Meltzer, and they, they brought up how... Uh, Back in that territory, Bobby Eaton kind of started off around the same time Randy Savage did. And they had a lot of tremendous matches there. And those were kind of matches where both their, both the guys kind of learned the moves that they would use later on. Like Eaton picked up the Alabama Jam and Savage got the top rope elbow and double axe handle. And they, just kind, of tried, they, they kind of tried out the moves and whoever could do move better got it pretty much. And the shame was that uh, match tapes of those matches do not exist. Yeah, and one of the great one of the great travesties of justice is that they're not match- tapes these matches between Randy Savage and Bobby Eaton from the 1970s because I'm sure it was it would have been fantastic fantastic to watch on any any DVD collection. Again, that's quite a duo, right? And I think it's just you know one of the things too is I I don't think you think about it and and again Meltzer did write this too. You know he always I think he always does a, a really good job and and I know people have different opinions on his reporting and all this other stuff and that's fine but like he always does a good job with the historical stuff like this like going back and and pointing out some of these things but you know it is interesting to think about you know Eaton because and this one of the things he pointed out was like this guy you think about he started at such a young age and like you said he's wrestling the likes of Savage you know he was um what was it I think he was teaming with with Coco Beware like in the early 80s. Yes, so with uh, Coco Beware's part than the new wave. Yes. yes. Sure. Um so like they're, you know, teaming together and then they they finally uh, break off and you know have a loser leaves town match and all this other stuff and but like that's what I think you think about is and, and Meltzer brought this up was think about this guy starts at such a young age and think about the style that he worked being considered like one of the best in-ring workers there was at that time and and still since that point like we still think of him that way uh in all the matches he had but and and again remember this is a time where these guys are wrestling you know twice a day so like it's just it's such an unbelievable schedule back then to where like 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 it says in the in the newsletter this week it's like this guy was beat up really badly by the time he got into his 30s like probably late 30s or so and it's just like my goodness, um, late thirties, right? We were just talking about that, like with ages and stuff. And we we did the the NXT episode. It's like he's he was only in his late thirties, but you just think about what that grind had done to his body at that point. Just given the style that he had worked, he was really ahead of his time in terms of his working style. It felt like uh, as he could pretty much work with anybody, but that still, you know, it, it takes a toll on you. And, and back then, man, it was just um, as we said, it's sort of a different a different scenario than maybe it is now. So. Yeah, think about doing the Alabama Jam move, you know, the top rope leg drop. Think about doing that move uh, once a match. Yeah. Uh, when you're working six, seven nights a week. And think about doing it in places with uh, not exactly the most comfortable wrestling rings. No. And ju- and think about doing that for, what, 15 years or so? Yeah. That adds up. That's what and, everybody always yeah, talks about, like the Hogan leg Bobby drop, found, right? Found that, yeah. that adds up, yeah. Even the Hulk Hogan leg drop added up, and yeah. Hogan was just—he was not going off the top rope, and even he had some bad, bad problems later on. So, 
that's why it came a lot earlier to Bobby Eaton. And you hear all the wrestlers, right? They always talk about how hard the rings were back in the day. And, you know, it's just like these things, which, you know, that's not to say they're not now because they are. That's that's one of those things where every time people are like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's like a trampoline. No, if you actually, like, it's not. Um, but, like, back in the day, we're talking, you know, there there were probably a lot less um, opportunities to lighten the, the blow a bit on that. Um, so, yeah, like to have that kind of move and uh, to do that, like it was it was very easy to probably, you know, beat up your body. And again, this is something else that um, has been brought up. It's like Bobby Eaton's not this guy, which we know, like steroids ran wild in in that era. Like there were guys who were doing all kinds of stuff. But this was a guy who seemingly just, you know, did whatever. Now, I know, you know, later down the road, maybe there, there were issues and stuff, but it's like, I mean, this guy seemingly just came through again in a business that just could pull you in all these different directions. And it just seemed like he just continued to be like one of those consistent rocks that anyone could lean on, no matter what promotion he's in, you know, no matter whether he's wrestling a match and, you know, WCW or whatever, like it just didn't matter. He was always someone that you felt like you could count on, not just, I'm sure, as a as a promoter, but also as a fan. Like if you're watching the matches, if you're watching the Midnight Express or you're watching Bobby Eaton, you pretty much know what you're going to get. And I think that just, that always shined through. Even now when you go back and watch some of the stuff from that era, and I had to pull out some of my notes from some of the reviews I did, like uh, looking back at shows from like 88, 89. If you've, which again, I'm sure most people listen to this have, but like if you have never actually gone back and like studied the Midnight Express and like what they meant, I mean, it is a, it is an unbelievable thing to go back and just see the impact they had, not just on tag team wrestling, but like on wrestling in general during that era. It's really an amazing body of work. Uh, and I, I, I started watching wrestling in 92. It was a little bit after the Midnight Express, but uh, of course, eventually I did go back and I did watch a lot of their stuff. And it's just, it's 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 amazing. Uh, there's no other word to describe it, really. And it's, it's interesting how they came together, too, because, you know, we all know the story about how Midnight Express was formed is because Bill Watts and Jerry Jarrett had an exchange of talent. And, you know, because both the rosters need a little bit of freshening up and some of the guys have been in the same place for a while. So time to do some changes. And one of the teams that needed a change was the Rock and Roll Express. You know, Ricky and Robert... Uh, they needed to change. They need to go somewhere else because they're stuck in the shadow of the fabulous ones. Yeah. So Bill Watts takes a Rock and Roll Express, and the Rock and Roll Express need opponents. So somehow Bill Watts figures out that the perfect opponents for the Rock and Roll Express would be, uh, you know, a veteran heel, Dennis Condry, a <laughs> classic Southern heel. Um, this young kid, Bobby Eaton, who had already he'd already been like the, the heavyweight champion over there. So it's not like he's not like he's a greenhorn, but he's still very young. And you know what? It'd probably be nice that they had a manager. So. There is the second string manager, Jim Cornette. He is just ranting and raving like a lunatic. And man, I, I want to punch him. So the fans will probably want to punch him too. So he just he puts those three together and somehow it just completely works. And the Midnight Express becomes one of the, one of the top tag teams of all time. It's crazy. Well, they, um, and of course it's it's fitting, right? I mean, I think, you know, Eaton's last match was against, uh, was it Rick? It was against Ricky Morton yes. in October 2015, I think it was. So they never stopped feuding, man. That that was, uh, that was some never, bad blood yeah. between those two teams. It's it's amazing, but uh, and it even lasted through the Dennis Condry years when they magically found Stan Lane uh, to fill the fill the void, and he filled the void quite perfectly. And 
it's tough for us to even sit there and do justice to just how good both those teams were. And Bobby Eaton was the rock of the rock of the crew. He just made everything work. He did, and um, you know those, you know those are the matches to me. And, and I go back and like you know, get look at my notes, and, and I'm thinking back to watching some of these shows because uh, I think it was probably like it was a year or two ago. I think I went back and watched like the entire like eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine, like that era. Uh, I watched all sort of the big shows probably. So and, okay, and so just out of curiosity, I'm kind of wondering, um, <laughs> what's your highest rated Midnight Express match? All right, so. Here's what I have again, based on what I, I pulled up, just the ones that I reviewed. So obviously I didn't review everything. There are some like mid-Atlantic shows I didn't, which I know, like you look back and some of the matches they have with the Fantastics and stuff, like there's just, take your pick, right? I think, well, uh, uh, take your pick. Like it Clash doesn't of matter. Champions, one of the Fantastics, <laughs> oh gosh. So yes. the one I have though rated as the highest, you and I, it's it's not, it's it's odd that we talked about this, but you and I, when we recorded one of our most recent podcasts, I want to say it was probably a week ago or something, um, you and I, for some reason, I brought this up to you. I said, I think we were talking about, you were doing a top, um, someone had like pitched an idea to you to do a top uh, Ric Flair opponents or something like that. And I had yeah. brought up, I said, and I don't even think we put this on the podcast. We may have talked about this after the podcast, but it's like, I said, well, there's actually a really sneaky, good tag team match with Ric Flair, which I know a lot of people remember, but... Like, that's the one tag team Ric Flair match I remember, and that's from Clash of the Champions 4. It was Midnight Express versus Ric Flair and Barry Windham. That's the one I have rated the highest. Um, I just, I loved it. Now, I'm sure, you know, again, you think about all the parties involved, that and Clash of the Champions 4, and that was, what, 80, was that 88 or 89? I just, I loved that. Now, it wasn't, that one wasn't much higher than... I have several on here. I'm looking like I have several with the Fantastics. They clashed first class of champions. You had Midnight Express versus Fantastics. There were some others, you know, the one they had against the Rock and Roll Express, Russell War 90. That was another one that I have rated pretty highly. They had that match too. Was it Starcade 88? The, uh, the Midnight's versus the original Midnight Express. Um, that was an interesting match. I don't, it wasn't as high as the, some of the others, but I, I just loved the Midnight Express versus Flair and Wyndham from Clash of the Champions 4. That's one, we're going to probably mention a lot of different matches, but like, that's one I would definitely go back and watch. The crowd was just insane. Um, but like we said too, anything with the rock and roll express, anything with the fantastics for the most part, those always delivered no matter where, which company they were wrestling in with that stuff. I remember. Yeah. Larry and I talked about the clash of champions for one time with the, uh, yeah. with the flair, Wyndham versus midnight express, just, uh, and flair and Wyndham both at the, at pretty much at the, at the peak of their physical powers, pretty much there. Just, uh, Four amazing workers in there is all you can say about that. But, uh, you know, the Midnight Express, uh, they just, it's kind of weird because, you know, they they went through Mid-South. They did all the stuff with Bill Watson, Junkyard Dog, obviously hooked up the Rock and Roll Express. And then they go to, go to Roll Clash where they have a lot of matches with the Fantastics, come into the NWA and work the Rock and Roll Express. And it's kind of carry things for a while. But then we kind of get to a point where, you know, once the Jim Crockett promotions kind of switches to WCW, then you start having kind of the BS go on. You have, you know, that Jim Hurd, that guy. <laughs> not, not to bury anybody here, but, you know, Jim Hurd, he, I don't know, he didn't really value the Midnight Express as much as some people did. And they were pushed down the card, not given too many opportunities to succeed. 
And it ends up that eventually Jim Cornette, I don't know if you know this or not, Jim Cornette's a little bit of a hothead, a little bit of temper, right? A little bit. A little bit. So eventually he just kind of gets tired of it. And one day, I think it was, was it, was it Ole Anderson who made the suggestion that if you didn't like it, you could just leave? And <laughs> right. Cornette responded, well, that's the best idea I've heard in a long time. <laughs> so he leaves and Stan Lane decides, well, Stan Lane decides he's going to leave with him because... Stan Lane has some stuff going on in his personal life that, uh, yeah, Jim Cornette and Stan Lane leave, and they all of a sudden realize that, well, we can't let Bobby leave because Bobby's got family support. So Bobby just stays. Like that trio, right? Like it's just, what a, what a story. Like just in and of itself. Like just, I mean, but, but like we said too, right? Like it's like Bobby's the rock of that entire thing. He's what holds everything together. Um, and they weren't going to – they said going to be mad at Bobby Eaton because Jim Cornette and Stan Lane left. Yeah. Because everybody knew Bobby Eaton was a good guy. I think I'm, I'm looking now. We talk about, like, top matches and stuff for him. And the one that I think is, like, rated – let's see. I'm going to look on cage match here because I think this is where there's a lot of good stuff. But, like, according to this – now, this is, again, the, these are logged in cage match, but – the two that got the highest, these both got five stars, according to Meltzer, and these these got basically rated nine or higher by voters on Cage Match for for what that's worth. The one at the very top, in terms of Cage Match rating, was the Bobby Eaton Stan Lane versus Bobby Fulton Tommy Rogers from the uh, April twenty sixth, nineteen eighty eight episode. Yeah, so that's going to be Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Yeah, um, April twenty sixth, nineteen eighty eight, and then. The other one involving Bobby Eaton, War Games, 92. Um, ah. Yes, that's Arn Anderson, Beautiful Bobby, Larry Sabisco, Rick Root, Steve Austin versus Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, Nikita Koloff, Ricky Steamboat, and Sting. I still think back to that. I'm like, my goodness, what an assortment of talent in there, right? Wow. Yep. What and a group. Of course, we got to that because after Jim Cornette and Stan Lane left, Bobby Eaton actually became a babyface. Which yeah. is, you know, you would think Bobby Eaton would be a great babyface because he was such a great guy. And he was a pretty great babyface in the ring. But for whatever reason, uh, I don't know. He just was a, he was just always better as a heel, wasn't he? I guess part of it was because heels kind of call it matches. Yeah. So <laughs> Eaton was good calling He was good doing that, so it kind of worked out better for him. But eventually, uh, you know, Paulie dangerously forms a super group. And the talent in that group, um, my goodness. Just up and down, the, the talent level of everybody in that group is just completely insane. It's a great uh, nine months or so of television, 1992. And, of course, the, I guess the biggest blow from what was that was the War Games match. But as a part of this whole run, you got the tag team of uh, Beautiful Bobby with Arn Anderson, which is interesting because, you know, you had Bobby Eaton was the rock of the uh, Midnight Express. And of course, Arn Anderson is probably the most consistent member of the Four Horsemen. And... It just so happened that Art and Bobby were also best friends outside of the ring. So and they just had great chemistry together. And I do wonder, I was wondering when I was putting together my list of the best Bobby Eaton tag team partners. I mean, if Art had had a couple more years with Bobby, that, that team might have just passed up Midnight Express. You don't know? I mean, you talk about two cerebral workers like Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton. They know their way around a wrestling ring. I think we can we can say that safely. 
Uh, here's another match, and I, I'm sure this I, I'd forgotten about this one, but I'm of course perusing Cage Match now, and I'm like, why did I not think of this one? Because <laughs> I must not have just put this in my notes, but I know I would have had it pretty high too. Um, Midnight Express versus the Southern Boys, Great American Bash, 1990. Um, oh so yes, I was thinking of that one. Uh, Tracy Smothers. That was for the NWA uh, U.S. Tag Team Titles. Yep. On um, the show itself, I don't think it was necessarily great, but that was um, yeah, that was good. So. I want to say that is one of the, I want to say it's an opening match, and I want to say it's one of those opening matches where they could all go back behind curtains and say follow that, <laughs> probably, and nobody could. Uh, they um, <laughs> that see that that was it right like they 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 were never I mean not never but rarely were they you know they were not always in that just top top spot where they're main eventing everything on these big you know whatever NWA WCW shows or anything like that right like it's. They were just so good, though, that it didn't matter. Like, it didn't matter where... I th- actually think the one I mentioned was the one against Flair and Wyndham. That did main event uh, Clash yeah. of Champions 4. But... Yeah, especially towards the end of Flay and Eaton where they were not yeah. being utilized properly. They'd usually be thrown out there in, like, that opening match spot yeah. with, like, the Southern Boys or the Rock and Roll Express or whoever, and they would just blow the doors out off the arena. And that that's kind of... That is the best way they could stick it to the promotion, pretty much. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's. They're not the only ones that have done that, right? Like we've seen others uh, take that same approach, where it's like, hey, you know, if you're gonna put us in this spot, we're gonna take advantage of it, and we're gonna basically, you know, show you this is. We're uh, gonna ruin the rest of your show. Yeah. Um. So that was. Uh. Yeah. It's just incredible. Like I said, to think about Bobby Eaton and to to know that this is a guy that navigated these these waters of professional wrestling just. The way that he did, and and to not just, well, really, just to be part of one of the greatest tag teams ever, and to really, you know, never kind of be that guy that we've seen this before, Steve. Like there are people that if they they reach that level, you know, there's a lot that can get to you with that. Like you can you can really start to buy into sort of your own, um, you know, narrative and just you know your own hype and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like. This guy just seemed like he was just the most, I don't know, like just the most grounded, nice, you know, laid back type of guy that um, just made his way through the business, probably made a lot of money. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're sitting here talking about just, again, one of the, the best and probably one of the most underrated, like I said, to actually do this. If you just think about the everything that came along with it, the end ring work, you know, crafting a team the way that they did, um, you know, the Midnight Express, it's just a name. We'll always know that team name. Like anytime it says Midnight Express, oh yeah. Like I remember this, I remember that. Um, just, uh, yeah, just a one of a kind type deal. And I always think back, I'm like, who are some of the teams maybe that they didn't get to work with? Like maybe they were just a couple years off or I don't even know, but I always think back to that. I'm like, well, there's some teams that like they just missed on maybe having a chance to, have a, just a great program with them or that. Like, I know they had some they had some matches with the Road Warriors. I think there was – I'm trying to remember if there's any in particular. Yeah, they had the Road Warriors, and, of course, that led to Starkid 86. Yeah. So the team that jumps to mind right off the top of my head, and I'm trying to remember if they ever did have ma- – they might have had some a match or two, but uh, a team that came along and kind of peaked right after they left, uh, Rick and Scott Steiner. Yes, that's, that's yes. a good point. Yeah, the yeah, Steiners. That would have been a team. And the Steiners, then, of course, later on, the Steiners would have a series of matches with uh, another Cornette team, the Heavenly Bodies. Yes, that's true. Uh, which I, which was pretty great. I want to say like it was 90, right? It felt like 1990 was sort of that point where, you know, the Steiners started really getting 
you know, that was when WCW was, I think probably to say the, put an understatement to say that they were undergoing some changes, probably just trying to try some different things and, and all of that. But yeah, that that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about sort of. I'm trying to think that they might've had some matches. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they never had a match because they were there at the same time. But I want to say that the Steiners were probably, I think Steiners were pushed more in the rolled tag team level with like Doom and people yeah. like that, while yeah. Midnight Express was kind of down the card in the U.S. tag team title scene with like uh, the Fantastics and Dynamic Dudes and folks like that. I'm looking at down that time. the list here. So, I mean, there's a lot on here. Like, again, this is why I enjoy like cage matches. Well, if you're going to do the fantasy booking, you can put them against like the British Bulldogs. That's true. Put them British against Bulldogs, like the Heart Foundation, all these. Um, how about the Rockers? Uh, I I know the Rockers, but I Express never met. Yeah, that's, that would that's another one. Um, I'm trying to think back of some of these, if I I just don't remember there. So like apparently, let's see, April April of '88, uh, you had the Midnight Express versus Lex Luger and Sting. So mm. that must have been interesting. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's any other that just really stand out that I'm thinking back to try to go back and watch. Like you said, we talked about the Road Warriors one. Um, they had that one in uh, another one in '87. And then, I mean, really, like you said, most of these in terms of if you just want like to go back and watch some Bobby Eaton matches and the ones that are probably universally loved, like there are just so many that they have with either the Rock and Roll Express or the Fantastics. Like you just really can't go wrong. Like there are just a lot that are really, really good. Um, and yeah, like that's just, I mean, unless you want to go back and watch uh, them against the Dynamic Dudes, that's another one you could do. Um. <laughs> but there's also kind of perverse enjoyment out of that, too, where especially, I think the match was, I want to say matches in Philadelphia, and there was the big turn, you know, they had, had the, they had the whole gimmick where Cornette had agreed to manage the Dynamic Dudes, because, you know, for some reason, Cornette and Midnight were babyfaces at this point. It was a thing that happened, you know, yeah. these things happen from time to time, so they're babyfaces. And then I have dudes, you know, Johnny Ace, Shane Douglas, they decide, oh, we want Jim Cornette to manage us. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I can see why they would say that. Except for why would you trust Jim Cornette? I don't know. But, you know, it ends up being this whole trash talky thing and Midnight Express gets jealous or whatever. And they wind up having this match. And Cornette is going to be at the neutral corner. He's going to be, uh, you know, non-biased. He's going to be, <laughs> he's, he's going to be completely fair and balanced and, wouldn't you know who won the pony and Jim Cornette turns his back on dynamic dudes. And, you know, it's supposed to be Jim Cornette turning heel again and Midnight's turning heel again. And they got one of the loudest pops of the night. Because yeah. nobody liked the dynamic dudes. <laughs> no. Especially especially in Philadelphia. Yeah. Dynamic <laughs> dudes. What a there there's another. Uh, you wanna go back and watch some of this. All right, before we wrap up, Steve, I'm gonna give you some uh some trivia here. All right, so on Cage Match, uh the highest rated Bobby Eaton singles matches, which now that I think about it, I, I remember one of these in particular. Um, there, there are three that are all kind of in the same range. Can you name any of them? <laughs> um, there was one with Ric Flair. That's the highest rated one. And I want to say it was on, I think it's on like uh, main event or something like that. Clash of the Champions 15, ah, um, okay. June 14th, 91. And Flair specifically requested that match because he wanted to wrestle Bobby. Two out of three falls. Yep. <laughs> so you got one there. And I want to say also, I'm going to, when there, there was a title, I know there was a TV title change between Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson that might be on there. Super Brawl, um, 1991. There's a match between Arn and, and Beautiful Bobby. So that's May 19th, 91. Um, that's a WCW Super Brawl. So. 
maybe that was it. I don't know if that was the um, title match or not. I'm not sure. But that's the other one. And then the third one, I think I could give you until um, I don't even know when, but I, I don't think you're guessing <laughs> the third one. <laughs> but it almost, I hear, here's your hint. It was under the Beautiful Bobby moniker. So that's it's in that same time frame. It is in 91 as well. So Okay. Uh, did he wrestle Steve Austin? He may have, but that's not the one that's in this range. Although, you know, actually, he's got a couple more. Well, there's, he's got, there's another one against Scott Steiner in 1990 that was rated highly by Meltzer. Got three and three quarters. Uh, but the one in this one, 1991, uh, October 27th, at WCW Halloween Havoc 1991, Beautiful Bobby versus Terrence Taylor. Okay, yeah, I was sat there all day, and not, even though Terry Taylor was a good worker back in his day, uh, yeah. By the time he's Terrence Taylor, I think we all kind of checked out. That's not one I could really remember. So um, I was just kind of fascinated by that. But we, we've given you listen. If if you want to go back and watch some Bobby Eaton matches, uh, hopefully this gives you a nice assortment to choose from because there are a lot. And like we said, there, you know what, Steve? There are probably a lot out there that we can't even watch. Um, there's probably some that. You know, oh yeah, there's a, there's a, a ton. ton that we can't watch. Yeah, so um, you know, fire up Peacock uh, as frustrating as it can be, and uh, go back watch some Bobby Eaton matches, and uh, there's there's plenty of them to choose from, like we said. So, and give a shout out to to the uh, his team with Lord Stephen Regal as well, the Blue Bloods. Yes, the Blue Bloods, especially the introductory vignettes where Lord Stephen taught <laughs> the Earl of Eaton how to be uh, British, and it, oh, it's just. You know, the, the, the whole My Fair Lady bit, just fantastic. Yeah, just incredible. Um, so, yeah, check check those out. Here's some. Here's a couple other random ones. Uh, Bobby Eaton versus Steve Austin, June uh, the 3rd, 1991. And then uh, Bobby Eaton versus Chris Jericho, uh, October 21st, 1996. So there's mm. another one uh, that's interesting uh, with that. So how about Bobby Eaton versus Michael Hayes in 1992? That's an interesting as well. Um, I don't know if it's highly rated or not, but we mentioned earlier that uh, Eaton and Randy Savage worked together yes. back in the early, the late 70s. And they wound up having a random match on, I think it was Worldwide, around the time when Savage was part of the NWO. And usually on Worldwide by that point, you had like squash matches and not very competitive things. And, you know, Randy Savage's respect for Bobby Eaton was such that he was going to have a 50-50 match even though Eden was not getting pushed at all at this time. He was, he was, he was doing nothing, let's be honest. But Savage was not going to, he's going to have a 50-50 match, and he's going to cheat to win. Because that is the respect he had for Bobby Eden. Everyone did. Uh, I think that's the common theme we can kind of, uh, you know, look at. That, that was it. Like, find, find people who didn't have respect for Bobby Eden, and uh, uh, I, I guess I may find you a liar, because I, I just don't know how you couldn't uh, for this guy. As we said, one of the... The best to do it, um, probably one of the most underrated to do it, and, and as everyone has said, um, probably one of the nicest to do it as well. So uh, you just see a lot of the reaction from the current stars. Like, again, these are people who probably, you know, a lot of them, some of them may not have grown up watching Bobby Eaton, but I think there's still such a respect uh, for what he did. Uh, just, yeah, one of a kind, and uh, he will definitely uh, be missed. So uh, there are some thoughts on beautiful Bobby Eaton. And uh, as we said, uh, we will, um, you know, continue uh, to, I mean, look, there, there's plenty of things you can go back and watch. I'm sure I'll go back and watch now that we talked about it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go back and watch some of these matches um, that I haven't watched in a couple of years. Uh, of course, uh, for all of our other wrestling coverage, uh, you can find it all 
411mania.com. Check out all of our uh, news, reviews, columns, and everything up there. And uh, as uh, we continue to say, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, any podcast app you use. Search for 411 on Wrestling. Uh, we'll also, as always, have the uh, GoFundMe link uh, for Larry Zonka's family in the show notes. So continue to share and uh, share and contribute to that if you can. And uh, everything else, 411mania.com. But uh, thanks, as always, for listening to the podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.